0: They're praised for being quiet and for, for, for not making any noise and, and for staying in the lines and for being a good girl. And I don't know if sometimes what we're trying to then do is not allowing them to use their voice. Hello and welcome to
1: Mothers Matter podcast with me, Claire Pay. Thank you very much for listening today. Uh, My guest today is Jo Wimble Groves, who is the um, author of a new book called Rise of the Girl and also co-founder of an organisation called We Are Girls in Sport. Uh, She runs a company called Active Digital. And we have a really uh, interesting conversation about the role of girls in society today, and how um, girls are facing their their teenage years, how they can develop confidence and um, be helped to try and succeed and recognize what success is in their lives and also girls as they become women and enter the workplace so we talk about as much as we can about girls we also talk quite a lot about boys because we we both have sons and we end up talking about them as well so it's largely a discussion about being a mother i think and uh, trying to help our children so i hope you enjoy the podcast joe thank you very much for taking time out very busy time for you to speak with me on this podcast today i really appreciate it thank you claire it's an absolute pleasure thanks for having me oh you're welcome well uh, this podcast has come about partly because you've just brought out a book and i wondered if you could tell us um a lot about the book how it came about what it's about and so on
0: absolutely um So my book came out on Thursday, the 7th of October. It's called Rise of the Girl, Seven Empowering Conversations to Have with Your Daughter. Um, I'm a mum of three. I have a daughter who's almost 12 and I have two sons as well. Um, I would love to write a book for my sons, but I felt this needed to come first, and I'll, I'll sort of explain the backstory why. Um, I was a, a young entrepreneur, really. I um, I struggled at school. I came away with some half-decent GCSEs. I didn't go to college, didn't go to university, um, and I have two brothers. My older brother, who's four years older than me, um, decided back in the mid-1990s that it might be a good time to get into the mobile phone industry. He wanted to start selling mobile Phones. it was always it was going to be a bit of a sideline for him anyway um his main ambition was to be a professional golfer and he played for england and that was his his personal goal um but selling mobile phones was a bit of a side project and when i was 16 i just sort of put my hand up and, and said i'd do it with him and sort of help him out is how i think it was Praised And I never expected it to be long term. I wanted to go to drama school and I wanted to be an actress or I wanted to be on the stage in some capacity. Um, but at the time, I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know about you, Claire, but you know, when you are that 16, 17 year old Trying to figure out what you want to do for a career is really difficult. And, you know, unless you have a really clear strategy, as in I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a vet or I'm going to be a teacher. If you don't have that clear sort of strategy, I think it's really hard for our teenagers in in general to try and figure out what path they're going to take. So um, I went into business with my brother and um, the support was varied. My dad's quite entrepreneurial, so was my grandfather. So I think we had that sort of running in our blood. But but there obviously quite a few people thinking, you know, what <laughs> what are you doing? Um, for the first few years, you know, we we didn't we didn't take any salary, and I think that's really difficult, and that's the reality of trying to start a business when you're very young. We'd work six days a week um, and not take a salary, and um, I spent a lot of my sort of younger years, really, my late teenage years and early 20s, trying to get people to take me seriously. I think I've been blessed with a bit of a baby face, which is good in many ways, but I'd go and see my bank manager and trying to talk about getting an overdraft or tell him about our profits, our losses, our forecasts, and they wouldn't lend us anything. And it was really, really difficult um fast forward quite a few years some 27 years later my brother and I still (laughs) run the business together so and you know and, and working with siblings has its pros and cons we're both so different and I spent I think a lot of my a lot of my youth um trying to be more like my brother and and you know part of the book as well is more is is about trying to be more like yourself and growing into your own sense of self it took me a long time to do that and and what's really interesting is the business was is thriving and, and does so well because of because of how different we are and it's when we focus on our strengths as individuals is when is when the business does really really well but again it's taken a long time to figure that out for me oh, just sorry just before yeah. you mention the
1: book just tell us what the business is called and i know you've won some
0: awards as well so yes let's just talk so about the that business is called active digital and as I say, we 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 started as as a, as a mobile phone company. We sell a lot more products now, lots of digital products. We sell Microsoft products, as you probably would imagine. So our job is going into organisations and businesses, and um, we we obviously look at their mobile phone contract. We look at converting their phone system into a VoIP, a cloud-based system, and helping businesses on their digital transformation journey. Obviously, this is before before everything that's happened over the last eighteen months. It's helping people to leverage technology. To make their business better. Uh, so I love my job. And also I felt, I felt like I, you know, I needed to use what we've learned um, over the last 20 years to maybe think perhaps that could help somebody else. And we have been very successful and uh, we continue to be. We are one of the um, best performing partners for Telefonica O2 across the whole of the UK and Ireland. We look after amazing clients like the Premier League and Crew Clothing and Saracen's Rugby Club. And uh, bird's eye frozen and food, and the list goes on. But amazing clients, as well as lots of local businesses as well, which are obviously very important. And we are the only partner of O2 to hold a global award for customer experience, and we've won an award for customer experience every year for the last fifteen years, which we're also very proud of. So we're very good at what we do, and we've set the bar very high. Um, but you know we we're an Apple partner, and everything that we do is is circulated around technology. So we're in a great space, and even through tough times, it's been great to be in the industry of selling products that everybody needs that no one will get rid of. So that's been brilliant. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. I mean, and there's a
1: whole podcast there about how you did it, but we must go back to <laughs> must go back to the book, and
0: what made you think about writing the book then? So from my business um, experience, I've been going into schools, colleges, and universities, and I talked to Students and share my story. And a PR agency said to me quite a long time ago that Joe, you've got a great story, and actually, boys and girls for that matter, girls particularly really benefit from hearing real stories about failure, about success, about not being a high achiever, but still um, you know having a fantastic career and doing really well by leveraging your strengths and focusing on the things that make you uniquely you. And that led me on to think. If I can make an impact going into schools, how powerful could a book be? Perhaps I could reach a lot more girls. And I think I, I, I think about my younger self and everything I've read in the newspapers over the last three to five years is focused around this crisis on our teenage girls, their mental health, their well-being, and their confidence. And also, being being in business, what I'm seeing is when I'm round a table and also going in to see other clients our young women are not always putting their hand up to go for a promotion to take an opportunity and I'm trying I've been trying to figure out why that is and I read in the Harvard Business Review uh, quite a while ago but it says it's a it's a statistic that's always stuck with me that a man only needs 60 percent of the qualification to go for a promotion so I know we talk about women and and mums winging it quite a lot but actually men do that a bit as well so Um, You know men are always happy to be more than sort of more natural risk takers I feel and I know that sounds a bit generalistic but that seems to be sometimes how it is and for a woman she can have 100% of the qualification but still not put her hand up to go for the promotion because we have this sort of fear of what if it doesn't work out and we don't quite take the chance and this is what led to the book. I thought to myself, if this is happening in businesses all over the world, because we know we've got we've got the gender pay gap, we've got we haven't got enough women on the boards, and we're looking at these thirty to forty year old women saying, why are they not seizing the opportunity? Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. It could also be around family commitments, but sometimes just that art of giving something a go has to start when we're younger, because if we're not teaching our children to be curious to try something different and to put their hand up like I did when I went into business with my brother and I put my hand up to take an opportunity without knowing what the outcome would be, without a fear of failure. I you know that's become my journey. And and if I hadn't have done that, I I don't know, I don't know what my path would have been. But but what's really interesting is 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 focusing on what we can do as as adults. To show children what opportunities are in front of them, and allowing them the you know the opportunity to to use their voice. And for girls, I, you know, I'd, I had been reading that we we sometimes tell our girls that we get praise for being a good girl. And I've done that with my own daughter. And they're praised for being quiet and for 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 not making any noise and and for staying in the lines and for being a good girl. And I don't know if. Sometimes what we're trying to then do is not allowing them to use their voice. Mm. Indirectly, we don't mean to do that. But I wondered if we, you know, we 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 tell boys that they play outside, they climb trees, they take risks, they they're, they're boisterous, and again, I'm being really stereotypical here. And then girls are quiet, they draw, they you know, and they don't always use their voices because we don't tell them how to.
1: Yeah, you've made so many really good points there that I, I'm <laughs> scribbling some notes and I actually wrote Fear of Failure just before you said Fear of Failure that um, I think uh, just to go down that idea for a bit is um, it's almost the flip side, I think, that now we, I think we're in a position where we are telling girls, you know, you can achieve this, that and the other. And and girls, um, I've done some reading in the air, and girls are much more aware of people's expectations of them. And I think therefore they are, there is that fear of failure that they are almost expected to achieve. It's almost reverse psychology, you know, and I think schools, I mean, you've got sons as well. Schools are really designed for girls to sit and who, who like to sit and listen. I had a, I have a whole thing about, you know, boys, I really just want to run around. I was telling his primary teacher just to sort of take them out on the playground and talk to them there and let them run around in between. Anyway, that's a different thing. But, um, I think there is, girls absorb pressure very easily, don't they? And they have pressure from themselves to form, you know, even I think by the age of two, they know what's expected of them and uh, living up to that. So how do we get the balance between, um, on the one hand, saying to girls, look, you can achieve, you don't need to stay quiet or whatever, or if that's your strength, then use that as your strength. But also don't worry if you if you fail,
0: um, how do we how do we get that balance? Do you think? Oh, I think it's 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 a very big question, isn't it? But I think there's lots of things that we can do at home. First of all, I think we do need to encourage our girls to always work to their personal best. and I think you know social media is such a big a big beast that we have to deal with. But they also see lots of um, lots of lives that look perfect or even people that look perfect. and then that starts to manifest itself in thinking that things always need to be perfect. We must remind our girls that that what we see online is not real life. Um, and they and and nobody is perfect and and uh, you know, working to their personal strengths is what really matters. Grades don't have to define who you are and a piece of paper don't have to define who you are or what you want to do in your career. Um, And I think that's a really important message. And secondly, I think, you know, the role modelling element is absolutely crucial Um, for our girls to feel comfortable in themselves and know that they're working towards whatever their personal best is. They've got to surround themselves with a really good friendship group that lift each other up and i think as parents we just need to keep an eye on and it's really difficult because you can't really interject a lot of the time with who your who your who your daughter or son is it wants to hang around with but i think it is really important to have those conversations those open conversations about how these people make you feel and how they lift you up because if if you've got friends that are also really anxious or really low or have a fixed mindset that ultimately is going to be really pulling your daughter down and she's just going to get into such a negative space. It makes it much harder as parents and caregivers to try and pull them back out of their space. And equally, you know, we know that role models are everywhere. It can be a family friend. It could be a friend's um, parent. It could be a teacher. But I think we really need to make sure that our, our children have access to role models all around them who are doing that good role modeling. Um, but really, trying to focus on what their strengths and their skills are. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of things that I think we can do that are small wins. But talking to our children is is ultimately the most important thing. As I think, as adults and parents, we're really good at listening to ourselves and talking to ourselves, and sometimes we're not listening enough. And and I think my my parents always said to me, "You've got." two ears and one mouth for a reason, you should be doing twice as much listening as you are talking. And I love talking, so that's always stuck with me. Um, And I don't think I do, you know, we don't listen enough to our children. I'm probably guilty of it as well. And just even going for a walk with our daughters... Because when you're side by side, you're in a neutral position and it's a, it's less confrontational than across the kitchen table. And find out what's going on for her, what her worries are, what pressures she's feeling and why she feels those pressures. And if there's anything you can do to try and alleviate some of that. But if they're not talking to us, then we don't know what's going on for our girls.
1: Mm. I, I think it's really interesting, the idea of role models and... Uh, This thing about uh, being your personal best and achievement and so on, because I I wonder also about the role of mediocrity and averageness that, you know, by the law of averages, most people are
0: average. But, you know, my daughter struggles a bit at school and we talk about that because, you know, part of what I do when I go in to talk to schools is I'm a C grade student who became an entrepreneur. and, And the reason why schools like that is because, you know, I'm an average student. I'm not an A grade student. Um, I was in the bottom set at maths and and, and felt like I was in the bottom set, set of a lot of things, which meant I needed to have a really good work ethic. I had to work hard, and a lot of students have to work really hard because we're not naturally academically gifted, which means we have to feel like we have to work twice as hard as everybody, and it hurts and it's and it's frustrating. And my daughter will throw a pencil across the kitchen table at me because it's hard, and and then we have to do hard things. And, um, and this is where I can give her some comparison if I know how that feels, but, um, you know, working to your personal best, I just want her to try her best in that maths test. And as long as I think our kids can come away with their hand on their heart thinking, you know what, I did my best on that because there's nothing more frustrating at any age really coming away thinking, I know I could have done better. I know I could have done better because, um, I just missed that question. I just didn't want to answer it or whatever it might be. But, It's what's important is what's going on, what's going on for them. And my daughter was running, running this cross country race recently. And there's been times where she's come last and nobody wants to come last, but somebody has to come last. And uh, a little while ago, she ran really well and it was her personal best race. Whatever position she came in or whatever with 20th or whatever, you didn't need to come first. But she was so happy because she ran her best, best race. And I was so proud of that method of learning that she'd she'd put in and and you know there are a lot of bumps in the road it's not like that all the time but even if I can make those small little changes where she said i ran a really good run I'm really proud of myself mum I'm good for you I'm not gonna yes, beat I'm- her up for not for not winning
1: <laughs> That's it I, th- I think we need to look at uh, whether it 's the idea of looking at
0: inputs rather than outputs that you can control how hard you try and what you do i don 't know if we talk to our children enough about it because when our children look at us as adults they, you know we look like we 've got everything figured out. I used to think that about my own parents they 're adults they know everything but, mm. but you know but, but life is tough and we don 't have everything figured out all the time and and I think it's really important that we talk to our children about our career journeys and and the successes and the failures and when I was talking to my daughter about the book, um, you know, there was quite a lot of publishing houses that didn't want to publish it. And there's so many, there's so many times where you think you could just give up. I didn't want to give up. And it's finding that inner grit and resilience of saying, you know, it will, it will come and I believe it will come. And I have that self-belief. And, you know, I ended up getting published by DK, which is part of Penguin Random House, which was an absolute dream come true. So, I'm so glad nobody else took the opportunity on <laughs> it. I'm so glad that I waited and it came true. And, and actually, how you deal with that fear of rejection is really important. You know, people saying no, and, and even I'm talking to my literary agent about it, and she said, that are really hard conversations, Joe, to ring you up and say, I've had a no, 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 mm. it's not for us. But I, I have to take that sort of, that criticism almost as, as feedback, really. Okay, it's not for them. It might be for somebody else, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it's not it's not worthy of being published. And, you know, when we think about um, how we deal with mistakes or criticism and all of that, I was telling somebody about my daughter's school where. Um, they don't allow erasers and I've written this a little bit in the book and actually when they do a test whether it's English or maths or what have you um, they can't rub out their answer they have to cross it out because they said mistakes should be seen they should be visible and I love that I love that because as children they break things they break their toys and our job is to always fix it our job is to put things back together again, and 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 we always try to do that with our with our children, and particularly our daughters. I think is try to fix things for them if they're upset. We've got to fix it, but actually, when things go wrong, and like you say, what will happen will happen with your daughter and her, and her grades and her results. But you know, you can't fix that for her. It will be what it will be.
1: That's it. It's it's difficult to know um, at what point they sort of need to take responsibility for themselves and. Uh, It's tricky with the whole sort of failure and the the idea with girls that there is, I think there is quite a lot of pressure on girls. I mean, there's pressure on boys as well. But it's almost even more complicated for girls because in the old days where you could grow up and be a stay-at-home mother and so on that was fine but um, now you 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 almost have more control over things and deciding what you're going to do with your path Um, I had a daughter well based on your the idea of your book I had a daughter conversation with my daughter about achievement the question of what she would see as success and what she would see as achievement and it's basically the opposite to my life as I'm leading it at the moment. <laughs> she wants to be, you know, working, so-called working hard and making lots of money and, you know, paying other people to cook and other people to clean and that sort of thing. Um, and and there's this sort of pressure then. But she also wants to have children and she also wants to be able to look after the children. There's just so many um pressures in a way on on girls today I mean how do you see the environment for for girls growing up now
0: yeah I think you're right and you know my mum was a stay-at-home mum and I'm always so grateful for that because she was always there for us and I I look back at maybe sacrifices that are made because maybe she did want to do something or have a career in something but you sacrifice so much for being at home around your children but you know she's she's just so caring and you know the taxi that would drive us everywhere and and there's just it's it's thoroughly exhausting but that is such a job in itself so you know we talk a lot about the mother load don't we and trying to juggle and the 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 you go to bed with this list in your head of all the admin that needs doing you know call the electrician the tumble dryers on the blink and then you've got a form to fill in for the geography trip and you know it's just all these things that we carry as well as then trying to you know be a good enough parent and and also trying to do well at work. And what what I think is really good is, as a mum myself, and as an employer myself, we've always been very flexible in our approach. And I love bringing female talent into the workplace. And I think as well, being a family business, you know, we like to employ people that have really strong family values. So um, making it work for our staff, actually, mums and dads, is really important. And I think fathers' I've been able to do a lot more of the pickups. And I think that's been really nice. We've had we had a little one in lockdown. Our third came in, you know, February 2020. He was only four weeks old when we went into lockdown. And that was really tough um, in some ways. But equally, my husband spent so much time with our little one, whereas had we'd been, you know, pre-COVID, that would never have been the case. So special relationships have really been built. And I remember my dad, we used to commute to London every day and used to drive to London back then and again, no mobile phones and what have you. And he used to come home at 10 o'clock at night. It's probably what time you get back from London and he used to always fall asleep in the chair, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't really remember him helping a lot with homework and stuff because his work was so all-consuming and I think people are really considering how we find balance and how we set boundaries for ourselves to have a family, um, have, have, have a career... Whether it's part time or full time, or and actually do something for you, and I think as a lo- there are a lot of mums out there because you lose quite a lot of confidence after sometimes having a children, and and actually even if you can find something, whether it's a hobby or a passion or or a career, something that you enjoy, even if it's a couple of days a week, I think it's really good for helping to find you yourself again. Um, I've got quite a lot of friends in that type of position, but. Yeah, for me as a business owner, it's quite full on, but I also am a lot better now at just sort of saying I'm going to take an hour off or I'm going to, you know, have my little one on on my lap while I'm on a call and and people understand that, people understand Mm. that, you know, I'm a busy mum as well and um, we're not very good as mums, I think, as doing much self-care because there's always so much that needs to be done. And we tend to put ourselves at the bottom of the queue. But we do need to make sure we're really looking after our own mental well-being as well
1: yes well taking advantage of the fact that you are a business owner and you've written a book and you're a mum can you just say a bit about how you juggle everything how any tips you've got for time management or your attitude how you approach things
0: yeah I mean I'm I'm always up quite early Um, I'm always up by by six o'clock and try and get myself sorted and get everything sorted for the kids before they wake up and I'm a, I'm a real morning person. I love I love mornings. I'm like a seize today type person. Um, I have a nanny that lives in three days a week, which is amazing. And I've had her for 12 years and I'm very lucky to have her. But she's become a very close friend. She's got three grown up children of her own. Um, so on you know, Monday to Wednesday, I've got her help which means if I'm home late, you know what it's like if you miss the train by a couple of minutes. This is so stressful. So having her there um, is amazing for us as a family. Um, and then I juggle a bit on, on Thursdays and Fridays, which is hence the Zoom call sometimes with the little one in tow. Because he's a bit too young to go off to nursery or anything yet. He's just at that age of sort of 19 months or bumbling along in the middle and into everything. Um And so I work five days a week, and then at weekends, if I can, in evenings is when I write, probably a bit like you do, articles and things like that. So I had lots of great PR for the book, but they all wanted me to write articles for them, which was great. So can you write a 1,200-word piece for this? Can you write 800 you know, 800 words for Grazi. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. But it's all great PR. But I'm thinking, when am I going to have the time to do that? So I was just trying to do that in the evenings, really, and and at weekends, um, which is exactly what I was trying to do with the book, was just getting up really early and then working late. But it is. I think that is, that is the tricky thing, is once I get my little ones to bed, I, I will get my laptop out and I'll sometimes be on it till 10 o'clock at night, which probably isn't great. Um, but that's how I'm trying to juggle... My business commitments around my writing and doing the things that I love but obviously now the book is published that does feel like a big weight off my mind because I feel like I can sit back and enjoy it and people are always saying to me what's next what are you going to write this <laughs> I, just want to, I just want to enjoy I just want to the enjoy washing. Right the washing of the and the
1: cleaning <laughs> I know <laughs> I know cooking <laughs> yeah and it's just
0: yeah, yeah yeah lots of lots of washing lots of kit bags and things isn't it with mm. lots of lots of sport in our household but I wouldn't change it for the world and I and um, and actually the kids are trying to help a bit more now that they're a bit older, nine and, and nearly 12. As I say, they want to earn their pocket money. So they'll be putting the bins out and <laughs> helping me. and actually you know, raising boys to do this is really important. He helps me with the washing and then we sort by colors and then we sort. And actually, it, when he goes off to university or whatever, he's going to know how, he's going to need to know how to do all of this stuff. So I do I do rely on their help a little bit
1: yes yes, I know i 've said to my son before you know i don 't want you to be a useless man don 't be useless you 've got no excuse to <laughs> why do men get away with being useless uh, it 's not fair but yeah i have to i 've taken a, um, the approach with the children that when they 're old enough they'll they 'll be able to do it it 's much easier to get a twelve sort of year old to do something than a two year old and I think sometimes people do try and get started particularly with their oldest think right she's going to be dusting we're going to get this this and this done and you know if they did say oh let me help you with the dishwasher which they almost never did I think oh forget no that's going to take forever (laughs) don't just let me get it done and um and, you know, and you can you can learn when you're older. But it is a, a debate that we we have. How, how much should we get the children doing? And they've got to do some bits tonight because I'm not, I'm not around this evening. And I think, well, they can do it when they need to.
0: Yeah, and role modelling yeah. as well. If we all keep leaving our shoes all around the house. And, and you know, how's that little one then going to grow up? Thinking that it's OK just to leave all their stuff around. And my mum always told me to start the day with a well-made bed. I couldn't leave the house without making my bed. I think I've got a bit OCD about it. But actually, mm. that's just such a small thing, isn't it? That you learn from a parent. My mum always, always made her bed and always left her bed immaculate. And I I'd have to do the same. And then I really try to encourage the kids. to Because nobody, when you get home after a long day, nobody wants to get into a bed that's not been made. Mm. I, just, I couldn't bear it. <laughs> so it's a really small thing. But again, it's like it sets me up for the day. and um, And I hope my kids want to do something similar as well how do you manage on a thursday and friday
1: with work with your particularly with your nine-year-old how do you manage this are you out out of the house
0: so on a thursday and a friday i'll be at, i'll be at home so monday to wednesday i'll be either in london or seeing my clients because i've got i've got that cover um but on a thursday and friday i'll probably work from home which is perfectly fine um sometimes i can have a member of staff maybe come to me which is great because we can have a meet it and my son because he's only he's dropped a lot of his you know his naps now so he tends to only have a nap between sort of t- two to half three so that's my time to try and make calls or um Or or speak to clients or or do something like this Um, but it can be a bit risky Um, but that's all I can do really and then you know go on the school run I make a lot of you know calls from the car um, and speak to a lot of the team Um, and then on a Friday yeah same again really just just juggle just juggle around him but Try not to talk to too many sort of client calls, but if it's staff or, or writing or, or, or doing quotes and things like that, then that's all pretty easy. But we just have to, we just have to muddle through.
1: Is he good at amusing himself? Does he? Can he look at a sock or something for a while? <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> he's pretty good. He's just getting into building blocks. So I've been teaching him how to stack them up and then he knocks them down and then he stacks them up again. And he's just discovered Toy Story, so I could put him in front of that and he's completely mesmerised, which is one of my favourites, so I'm quite happy about that. And he likes the bug's life. And I think it's just all the colour. I just tried mm. to put on, you know, programmes or films that he that are just full of colour and he's quite mesmerised by that and make sure he's got couple of snacks but he's quite good at amusing himself for a couple of hours and then you know we'll go out the park for an hour and come back and just that you know really tires him out doesn't it they don't need a lot yes absolutely <laughs> um go, going back to the um original topics so i'm
1: straying i'm straying away with mothers and daughters do you what do you think is particular role of a mother and a daughter relationship as opposed to a mother and son relationship how do you find it or how do you what do you know about it that's
0: such an interesting question um I think that my relationship with my daughter is different to the relationship that I have with my son um I think my daughter is um, again she struggles much more with her sort of her grades or how she how she you know struggles with things at school and that manifests itself a little bit so the conversations I have with her just need to be about reminding her to do her best and Um, she wants to put off her homework and I say no you know we need to do it together and it can sometimes feel like a bit of a battle and again she's going through quite a lot of emotional and physical changes at the moment so I think I just have to be quite gentle with her at the moment and I you know I, I want to be I always want to have that in the forefront of my mind that she's going through quite a lot at the moment in general that transition to secondary school I think shouldn't be undervalued and Someone told me. I think it's about six to eight weeks in. They hit a bit of a wall, um, so I'm sort of that's coming. Mm. That's coming, and uh, because it is a big step up, it is a big step up. And then, um, and then for my son, he's he's really sensitive, really emotional, and, and he's um, he's really sweet at the moment. Of saying, "Mum, can I have a little chat with you?" And, and he loves his little chats. Before bed, whether he wants to talk about his day or what team he's in at, at school and how he can get better um, and his friendship groups and um, and actually I talk a lot about girls and confidence, but it's my son that I 've got my eye on at the moment because again that, that there's a lot of content to talk about there because he's very he's very sensitive and um, and lacks a bit of confidence where my daughter is the one that will try anything try a new sport. Uh, go for something you know she's like I want to try archery I want to go rock climbing I want to do this I want to do that Uh, she just wants to do everything which is great because that's so symbolic of the book Um, whereas my son is the one that would queue up for the, you know, like the water slide, for example, then get to the top and then he'll walk back that walk of shame back down because he's changed his mind (laughs) (laughs) because he just lacks that little bit of like, I'm not sure about it, that assurance. So yeah, it's my son that I want to work on his confidence a little bit Mm. really. But like you say, he's, he just wants to be outside all the time and lockdown was quite hard for him because he's really sporty, really active, just wants to be outside, um, and, and and was not happy being on Microsoft Teams for mm. a year. You know, it's just not. It's yeah. not. It's a different way of learning. And yeah, both my two are real visual learners, so it wasn't. It wasn't great for them. But we muddled through the same as everybody else.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, my children exactly the same. My daughter actually is the really confident and sort of uh, adventurous one, and my son, who's twelve, he's really emotionally intuitive. He is scarily emotionally intuitive. He's very. I don't know if it's sensitive, but anyway, he he is the one who picks up on moods and feelings and everything. Mm. And um, I think, you know, I want to do another podcast about sons. Maybe we'll talk again. <laughs> but, but, you know, boys, until you have a boy, I think, well, for me, until I had a boy, you always think that uh, they're very strong and all that sort of thing. But actually, boys are much more sensitive and the girls are... I don't know if it's that they're presenting, the girls are presenting as more confident, or at least the girls I know. Uh, but girls also that sort of year seven, eight, nine, is just feral. Girls just can be so nasty and really, but but also mainly because they're so self-absorbed. You know, I'd say to my daughter, they don't they don't notice you. You know, they're not going out of their way to be nasty necessarily. They're just in self-absorption world. And now she's year eleven and. 15 life's just so much easier and it's sort of settled and they know who they are and they know if they're cool or they're not cool and they're past caring and that sort of thing
0: yeah yeah no i am going. you're absolutely right and she's you know she's gone into a new school and she's trying to find her people and she didn't know many people and going into this new school and I think she's now got this group of sort of six or seven of them and it's you know that doesn't happen straight away and she's had to She's had to find her place, you know, and I can't mm. help with that. That's up to her to find her people. Um, and it was a bit, you know, it, it was it was a bit of a worry when she comes home and she's just not really got anybody to hang out with. But it, it comes, it comes. And then for my son, as you say, he's just got great empathy skills, really impressive at school or at home. You know, um, he was running the cross-country race, going back to that again quite a while ago and his friend um, Ollie had uh, either a, like a panic attack or an asthma attack or something happened during the run and Seth was the one that stopped and was with Ollie the whole time and everyone else just carried on running and completely oblivious that Ollie mm. wasn't very well and um, you know and he and he and he wouldn't leave him at all and he went and got the attention of the teacher and and uh, I'm really I'm really proud of him for not worrying that he was going to come last in fact he wasn't even going to finish but it was more important mm. for him to be with his friend and everyone else just carried on running. And there's lots of, lots of times like that where he he knows when it's the right time to put an arm around a friend or to be with a friend or, um, or, or just, to, yeah. And he's such an affectionate, but, and it's funny, isn't it? Cause I do find yeah, boys are more affectionate than girls. Mm. I always mm. thought it would be the other way around, but I get a lot more kisses and cuddles from my son uh, than I do from my, from my daughter. Um, and I force her to hug me and tell me that she loves me, and, and it's but and I'll make sure that she carries on to do that um but yeah, for my son he's the what he's he's the one that's really affectionate yes
1: well also I think there's a thing with teenage daughters there comes a time where you realize that actually they know what's going on they they're managing themselves that your that your role is um obviously it's still important, but it's more standing back a bit, and I think as a mother of daughters, you you are aware of the hormonal cycle and everything. You think, "All oh, right, I'm just not going to talk to her for a couple of days now and then we'll be all right again. <laughs> She'll calm down. But there was a great thing on TikTok. We, my daughter um, shares videos from TikTok with me and they're great. And there's one about... Um, that being a mother of a teenage daughter as they say it's like having a crush that first of all you know you'll think about them much more than they're thinking about you and then they said the mother, you know you hang outside your daughter's room say hey a bunch of us can have dinner now I don't know if you have other plans no that's fine if you've got other plans that's fine so with my daughter I I have a very light touch with her really that she it's just like sort of steering an automatic pilot a bit and and it's quite I, I sort of do a dash in with a little bit of advice and then I run away and hide
0: because I think she's gonna blow up at me and there are lots of times where actually maybe my husband is more suited rather than you know me getting to lockerheads with her or or you know she's just had enough of me today trying to tell her what she should be doing or, or what essay she should be writing that's got it's got at least three days to be handed in so she will leave it to the last minute and I'm in so you know such frustration that she wants to do that I just want her to get it done But if there's other things to talk about, my husband is also, you know, he's great at at listening um, and has a really nice and has a really great relationship with the kids. And it needs to be a teamwork. You know, Mm. if you have the opportunity, if you are, you know, if you if there are two of you in the the household, well, that's that's fantastic, because it means that you can it doesn't have to be all on one person. You know, we're parenting together. So I'll say to him, can you go and have a chat with Erin? And he'll just sit on the bed and chat to her and you know mm. have a have a good way with her um and that's brilliant it doesn't always mm. need to be me no well i well obviously the role of fathers with
1: daughters is really important and and how they they say the big thing with fathers is how they treat the mother is a really good well it's good role model for the son to see how to treat women and it's good role model for the daughter to see how she should be treated by
0: by men and boys yeah I mean my Mm. my husband's really supportive of me because obviously we've known each other since we were 15 but we he went off in the army and we he came back and we got together when we were 21 but all he's ever known me is running this business so he's been through all of the ups and downs with me and he knows my commitment to my work um but he's got he's got he's in a, a, a great um time in his career as well at the moment um and yeah he's really supportive of me and my work and and it is a team effort with with the children and being a family and if I didn't have that like you say in that good role modeling um it might be it might be a different story so Mm -hmm. yeah that is that is really important you're absolutely right he could help a bit more with the laundry but apart from that
1: (laughs) 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 he's pretty he's pretty good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I go back to the book again you say it's seven conversations that uh, mothers should have with daughters what other com- what areas
0: do you cover with that um, well some of what we've talked about today which is sort of learning through failure um, the power of self-belief building resilience finding your passions um, and, and, and and role modeling and, and you know all of that is sort of packaged really through Um, sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned over the last 20 years, as well as bringing in some amazing contributors, which which is so great to the book. Because I know we talked about a little bit about storytelling and, and what I do when I go into to schools and I thought you know I didn't want the book to just be about sharing my own story I wanted to bring in other really powerful stories when you look at successful men and women for that matter however you want to define success um how did they get to where they are now and what's lovely even though the book is 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 focused on being for parents and caregivers of girls um it's really nice. If you've got teenage daughters, there might be some of the contributions that are really nice stories just to read to, to a daughter or for a son, for that matter. Um, so I'm just really pleased that, you know, you can hear from somebody who said I was really shy in the class. I never put my hand up or oh, I did this, that and the other. And then they went on to achieve X. Um, and there's, you know, we've got people that left school at 14, but how did they get to where they are now? Or, you know, somebody that's climbed Everest a number of times and every time he wanted to do something, people said it wasn't possible, he couldn't do it. And it, yeah, and I just, I just love it. I just, mm. I just love these stories and I love reading them. And I'm so proud that they're in my book. Um and, and again, I've got people in there, which is really interesting. It's not just mothers of daughters, it's it's fathers of daughters. But equally, three of my contributors don't have children. But what I wanted them to do was to talk about maybe when they were younger or how they got to where they are now and... Um, And, you know, one of them did some work on this Girl Count campaign, which is great. And she spends a lot of time with girls, despite not having a child herself. And, you know, Rocky Clark is the most capped England rugby player. I wanted her to share her story on how she found her passion for sport and what things were like for her growing up. And actually, she completely found rugby by accident. And so much of what we do when we find things that we love Sometimes we find them by accident. And I just think they're brilliant stories that girls mm. should hear. I th- yes, and actually I'm thinking of big areas that we haven't touched on
1: yet That um, are, because I suppose it's something that I don't really struggle with so much is the, the um, obligation to look good. So appearance, which I think teenage girls can fall for. The almost obligation to have a child and explain if you haven't got one why, you know, is the default is to have a child. Uh, and that's a pressure that you get much more on girls. Or well, not girls, obviously, but women. I suppose I'm thinking more into the sort of world that's coming up that, you know, how are you going to look? And teenage girls, obviously, have got the appearance issue, um, having to have a child or not. And then sport, you know, the problems that we have keeping girls active and um you know at school for example the boys play football and my daughter wanted to join them at lunchtime but she just felt like she couldn't really and and my son plays football now and i say do any girls join in not really i mean are those issues that you've you cover at all
0: definitely and you know i started this company as a, as a sideline called we are girls in sport which i which i run mm. with caroline kings and um, at the moment, we're, you know, more of a social movement. And what we want to do is is showcase over 100 different sports to girls because, you know, my daughter, she's she's paused rugby for the moment, but she's played rugby since she was five. And, um, you know, the problem that we have is that there was only sort of three girls left in the team because they either don't want to do it anymore or they moved to something else like hockey, which is on a Sunday. So then... That, you know they, they lose the rugby players um but it made me think about sport in general we do need to keep our girls active especially our teenage girls There was a huge drop off in, in in sport of teenagers which is a real concern so you know we started this project really to show girls different opportunities that it doesn't have to be gymnastics ballet all these stereotypical sports that they think girls should they should be out playing football they can be doing rugby they can play cricket my daughter is absolutely loving cricket at the moment. I took her down to watch England play at Canterbury a couple of weeks ago and it was just wonderful. To I mean, bearing in mind, it's like six hours long, you know, mm. and she just couldn't take her eyes off it for a second which is which is shows how passionate she is watching these young women and you know they're all different shapes and sizes and that's really important as well you know you get the little cricketers and they're mm. so some of them are so tall and and that's brilliant everybody's different and you get the same with rugby as well rugby is for every there's a position for every every size of player really and every height of a player and um and that's one of the things that rocky clark shares a lot you know when she found rugby in the book um talking about how she always felt like she was a chunky kid so she didn't always fit into this mold of what you know what the average girl looks like but you know her body ended up being her strongest asset because it ended up being her career and that's so lovely to mm-hmm. hear and that's what girls need to hear is you know you don't have to be the tallest or the or the fastest in order to you know be successful or whatever your success is defined as um but it's just helping our girls to really focus on um you know what makes them themselves what makes them feel happy and you know one of the things i do when i go into schools is i ask girls to write down three things about themselves that make them who they are whether it's a skill or a strength and a lot of girls they can only write down two they really struggle to write Mm. down the third and I love doing this test, and I've done it on, on boys as well. Um, and even as adults, I think we struggle. But if you ask one of your best friends, you should do this on your daughter, you ask, then you ask her best friend to write down three things about her. She can write down three things about her best friend, no problem at all. But when mm. you're internalizing and thinking about yourself, our girls just think, you know, what am I good at? I feel like I'm not good at anything. And that's, that's what we're trying to reverse in the book. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think with the sport, my, my daughter plays hockey and there was a time when she was sort of 10, 11, she didn't really want to go on a Sunday and I bribed her, I put credit in an account for her and everything and kept her going and now she still plays and she really enjoys it. And She started playing football after we went to watch women's football, England football team, um, but now she referees, she referees the boys football team so the youth football on a Saturday morning and she's again she's one of the only girls and she said the problem is she always stands out because she's one of the only female referees um, and that pays well she doesn't enjoy it but it pays well uh, but just trying to keep them active and I wonder though whether we are just discussing with the mother of a friend who doesn't she doesn't do much sport it's very difficult at 15 to get into a team because the netball the netball, you know, everyone's very good by fifteen. Um, so I say maybe something like a zumba class or gym. I think some of the individual sports or run it. I run uh, individual sports are good for girls
0: because it's less of a team issue. There's less pressure. Yeah, my daughter's just discovered badminton, which she loves. You know, and that's really fun. And and everybody has to start from somewhere. But getting started is. Is what it's all about without those pressures. But I do could I do understand what you're saying. If you've been playing netball for a long time, like you say, everyone's got pretty good and you're just coming in from a standing start, that can be quite difficult. But also, like I mentioned about archery or even, you know, Mm. climbing, and there's loads of stuff where you can come in and start from zero. But the key is, like we said earlier, is to just try something and try Mm. and try lots of things until she finds something that she really enjoys um but I'm your daughter sounds right up my street she sounds <laughs> amazing she sounds like a good a good role model and actually you know being a woman in tech I used to feel like I was one of the only women especially young women when I was in, in my early 20s going to these events with the O2 and stuff like this and it took me quite a long time to realize that I'm gonna I stood out um mm. because I was like 20 years old and a female Um, but you sort of slowly tried to leverage that to your advantage and being different is great and I now yeah I now use that definitely to my strength and your daughter should as well well I hope she well actually yes she's doing computer studies and maths and everything for
1: a level so she's she is going down that line um what do you think about the whole appearance then the what people look like the pressures how do we reduce again my daughter's she's very relaxed she doesn't wear makeup or anything and she prefers comfortable clothes to cool clothes um but you know most girls don't most of girls will wear really uncomfortable clothes because that is the fashion and they're doing their makeup and everything how how do we work around those pressures
0: um I just think you do have to Keep keep your girls grounded. I think I think it is a it is a, a real battle with social media, with TikTok, with Instagram, and like we said earlier about what you see online, it can be heavily filtered. It's not real life, and um, you know, putting aside issues of perfection is really important. Those having those conversations with our girls, but they they do need to focus on finding the look that works for them and makes them feel comfortable. Um, I mean, I personally am loving some of the looks at the moment. My daughter's like looks like something out of the 1970s. She's wearing these flares and these little knitted tops and, and actually n- nothing really on show at all. Um, but I love how she's finding her own individual sense of style is really important. And this preppy look is really in at the moment. Very mean girls. Um but our girls need to feel comfortable in their skin, and they need to feel that they want to wear what they want to wear because it makes them feel good and makes them feel comfortable and happy. Not because it's they're trying to impress anybody else. The only person they should be trying to feel good is really for themselves. So again, maybe that sounds really simple advice, but my daughter wears what she wants to wear. I'm sure she is influenced by a bit by her friends and what she sees on TikTok. Um, But this yeah, this look at the moment is actually it's actually pretty cool.
1: (laughs) I know I actually got some I've got some jeans which have never quite made it into the loft yet and I'm able to wear them again because they're sort of bell bottoms and they I think, gosh, this is in. This is actually (laughs) I (laughs) I put them I put them on last year and my daughter said, get those off, they look ridiculous (laughs) and now they're in fashion. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah.
0: Ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean I think my daughter always gives me a hard time about complaining about the pressure to wear makeup and high heels and everything so maybe people just want to you know and I think that's great and there's the uh, creativity is lovely in life and seeing people who are looking really special and individual you know I wouldn't take that away from them it's just whether you feel there's a pressure you know if someone feels pressured to do something they don't really can't feel yeah and to the, to do, that's feel where it's
0: good to have those conversations with your daughter and, and ask her ask her if she's feeling any pressure from anybody or anything at the moment and do that when you have your little walk and talk and try and find those moments where she's comfortable opening up and not quizzing her um mm-hmm. over the over the dinner table and actually and no, I I don't wear a huge amount of makeup but I do put makeup on every day because that's that's just how it makes... I like how it makes me feel. Um, I don't wear a huge amount. And I've always taught my daughter about cleansing and actually allowing your skin to breathe is really important. And so she doesn't feel like she needs to wear any makeup. And she's got really lovely skin. But actually, her birthday's coming up. I said, so, oh, we could go up to the shopping centre and go to Max Factor, and you can have your makeup done. And that's like a treat, mm. you know. And actually, that's that's fine. And she'll probably want to get her nails done because that's what they all do now. Um but yeah, I think teaching teaching our girls actually about skincare and allowing mm. their skin to breathe and, and stuff is also really important. Because my mum always taught me that. I used to watch her, you know, putting on her lotions and stuff. You do, don't you, when you grow mm. up? Again, role modelling.
1: Yes, yes. I got, I got my daughter's colours done in the summer so that she could tell what colours suit her and everything. I thought, well, that's a, a gift for life, you know, to wear. And then we found out she should wear yellow gold, whereas I'm a white gold person. So that was, I thought, well, that saves a lot of money in the future, you know, for <laughs> years of buying the wrong jewellery than having to have it all plated uh-huh. um, in the right colour. And just before we, we finish, it's probably a big question, but what barriers do you think there are for women going into business now or aren't there any? What, what do you think are the barriers for women
0: wanting, wanting to get into business? I think it's a really great start time for women to go out and, and start their own business. And we've seen lots of um, organisations, including banks, major banks saying that they're backing women in business. And so I think it's a brilliant time to have an idea whether you crowdfund and there's different ways that you can raise money as well opportunities that weren't there when I first started out so I think it's a really great time and with flexible working and you know us doing more from home perhaps this could be a great time for you to think you know I really want to do that and I'm going to do it two days a week I'm going to start from home Um, you can build your website yourself you can you know so much can be done um, yourself if you want to Um, so I think it's a brilliant time for women to start great great networks on social media leverage your social media platforms Uh, women are very good at supporting each other as well so find your network build your network on LinkedIn and use that to promote your personal brand we're not very good at self-promotion we get a bit embarrassed of saying oh yes I did that Mm -hmm. or um mm. and, and actually we need to be really talking about our personal brands more and shouting about the things that we're doing that are important to us and asking your communities to share it as well um i'm very happy to lift up other women and to say have you heard this have you seen this uh, there might be a campaign that i put a friend forward for because it's more suited to her than it is to me um and we i think we need to do that more we need to do that do you think there are issues for women in the
1: Traditional route of going in for a job you know within a business environment, you know going and being employed as whatever in accounts or managing this out or the other. do you come across any
0: prejudice or any barriers or anything from that that sort of level? Oh, I think it definitely still goes on um unfortunately, um but the more we have conversations about it, I think that's really important. Um, I was talking to somebody just a week and a half ago, actually she's just published her first book. Uh, but she had to leave two jobs because, um, you know, she was, um, you yeah, know, she had quite a tough time and w- with her managers treating her quite unfairly. And and that is, you know, made, made me think, gosh, this does still happen <laughs> in big corporations. Mm-hmm um but i'm really always pleased to see that more diversity and inclusion boards come in and you know we do we do still have a lot of work to do you've got the 30 percent club are making a lot of a lot of strides forward in saying there's a lot have been done but so much more has to be has to be done as well to bring more women through um so a lot a lot has been done over the last 100 years but there's there's still a lot more to to to, to go forward i think
1: Yeah, it is tricky. I remember when I first started working, I read a book called, because I'm a linguist by background, the book's called Talking from Nine to Five. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about how how women talk and how men talk and how women's... uh, Sort of the concept is women are part of the team and they lift up the team, and we've done this, even if they did it, we've done this, we've achieved this. Whereas men are, I mean, it's very simplistic, but you know, one upmanship. So I have done this and I have achieved that. And so she's unpacked from a linguistic point of view why the men are getting promoted rather than the women, uh, because they're saying the right sort of things and they might have the confidence to sort of blag their way through something. Whereas women want to back it up. Women have this sort of fear of um, overreach and saying something that, that, you know, they might be found out as a fraud or something. So women are more conservative in the way they speak. So uh, it was just a case of changing what they say from we've done this to I've done that. As a I, as I think, basic,
0: yeah, I think, you know, confidence from a young age is, is, is going to be a big part of that because we all feel that imposter syndrome sometimes. But if you're walking into the CEO's office and there is a promotion available, that is your opportunity to sell yourself. And actually, you can have that wider conversation of what you're going to do to build that team and to bring that team through. But you you do have to sell yourself, and, and women sometimes we're not very good at that, um, and we've got to get better at it, and we've got to have that find that inner constant, inner confidence, and push imposter syndrome to one side, and say, I am the right person for this job because X, Y, and Z, and I think I'll be tremendous at it. And mm. you come out thinking, Oh my god. <laughs> 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 but, but, I've got a job. I'm going to give it a damn shot. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. give it a shot because I also want to show my kids, my sons and my daughters that that's how we that's how we that's how we give stuff a try. We're going to give it a shot and I'm not afraid if it doesn't work out.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that's a great place to end. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights and uh, wisdom. It's lovely to talk to you. Lovely and, to chat to you. And um, all the best for the book, Rise of the
0: Girl. Thank you.
1: And uh, I'm just interested, actually, sorry, what angles, when you've had been asked to write articles, what are they looking at are they all looking at the same thing very
0: similar actually all the ones that came in recently was around confidence self-esteem in our girls but i think also because we had mental health awareness day and international day of the girl you know a lot of it was focused around those conversations and and what we can do to have those conversations with our girls so yeah i hope people find the articles and the book really useful um the book as i say it should be it should be hopefully hitting the the shop soon So the WH Smith, Waterstones, your local independents. Obviously, it's on Amazon as well. And it's also Mm -hmm. on Audible. I had a lovely message from a lady yesterday to say that she is so pleased it's on Audible because she's um, partially sighted and she's so pleased that she can enjoy the book. So that really warmed my heart. So I'm really pleased that um, although recording... Seventy odd thousand words was not an easy task. I'm so pleased that I've got different different outlets that people can enjoy it. Mm,
1: thank you. Well, thank you. That's really kind of you. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much to Jo, who's clearly an extremely busy woman, for taking time to talk about her new book, but also about the um, position of girls in general and how we can help them be the best version of themselves. Um, Just a reminder, her company is called Active Digital. She uh, is a co-founder of the We Are Girls in Sport, and her book is called Rise of the Girl. And that's out now. I'm going to put those links in the show notes and also on social media. Now, on a totally, well, it's not a totally different matter, but this is um, not endorsed by Joe at all. This is just something that's come up since we did the podcast. And uh, um, I don't want to suggest Joe has an opinion on this. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that's just happened in Scotland, where um, their civil service are removing the word mother from their maternity leave policy in response to pressure from Stonewall. And Stonewall are now described, interestingly, as transgender rights activists. I don't think they call themselves that necessarily. Um, I always thought of them as the LGBTQ plus people, but um, they seem to be coming down very heavily (coughs) on the side of transgenders. and the reason scotland is uh, civil service is taking the word mother out of their maternity leave policy is to try to get higher in their equality index which stonewall itself compiles and what stonewall does is you if you pay as a company if you pay to enter their diversity champions program i think they give you some help to I don't know, to help transgender rights or something. Anyway, if you pay to enter that, you can then be entered into the Workplace Equality Index, which they say is free to enter. It's not free to enter. It's only You're only in it if you have already paid to be part of their Diversity Champions programme. Um, and apparently so, several companies now leaving because Stonewall is moving so heavily towards transgender. However, Scotland's going in the opposite direction and is going into Stonewall more heavily in order to take the word mother out of their maternity leave policy. And actually, interestingly, just as we've been talking about girls and how um, we really want to encourage girls to look at their own strengths and their skills, you know, there's I think there's nothing wrong with identifying yourself as a woman and as a girl, and it becomes very confusing if girls are just, I don't know, aren't allowed to identify as their own sex as such, because if you call yourself a girl or a mother then you are somehow um, excluding transgender people. Uh, Interestingly, help has come from an unusual quarter. The Lesbian Rights Alliance in Scotland actually attacked Stonewall in 2018 for saying that male-bodied people with penises could be lesbians. So the uh, Lesbian Rights Alliance actually says that lesbians are biological women who are sexually attracted to other biological women only. And in the um, news report on this, a load of people came in attacking that position, saying that you can't possibly call a lesbian someone who's just attracted to other biological women anyway. So, so that continues. And I, I thought it was it's quite sad in a way to look at some of the descriptions for mothers now. Mother um, has become a birthing person, and uh, which I presume means a father can be called a person with sperm. I think that's what they should call fathers from now on. The birthing person and the person with sperm are both well, welcome to visit their offspring Women on the sanitary towels promoted them to um, women instead of women. People who menstruate, lovely. Can't even think. There's obviously not a you know equivalent for men on that. Uh, People also, women are described as people with the cervix, which I assume they're then talking about men as people with a penis. I mean, or testicles. Maybe they'll go the whole hog on that. Um, so the president, the British Pregnancy Advisory Service is the first major organisation to state it won't remove gendered language, that they are willing to talk about mothers, you know, pregnant women as mothers, uh, mothers to be, which is a great relief. Um, and there's an author called Millie Hill who wrote an, an article on, um, sorry, wrote a book about uh, as a feminist, give birth as a feminist. And she was, um, and she founded the Positive Birth Movement. Um, and she has been attacked online for taking issue with the term "birthing person" rather than "mother." So you're you're just not allowed to take "mother" out of the, um, you know, you're not allowed to use the word "mother." Sorry, you have to use "birthing person," or else people will attack you. And uh, I mean, this isn't supposed to be an, an attack on transgender people. There are maybe half a million transgender people in the country, there are 33.75 million women. Um, And, you know, being transgender is uh, something that, I, I guess, needs to be treated with compassion and so on. But also, you know, women's rights. We've taken a long time to assert the right of women to be recognised and being given equal treatment. And then if men come in and decide they're they're then women because they've gone through a transgender process and then want the same rights as women, um, uh, which might involve men going into women's changing rooms, all that sort of thing. You just have to question really what is going on with the rights of women and uh, mothers and uh, just the very special nature of mothers. I have done some many podcasts and the podcast on um, child care, podcast on guilt. Several of the podcasts are talking about the very special role of a mother in a baby's life and the very special role of a father in a baby's life. Uh, but I think there is room in this world to call people mothers. Anyway, so um, that's just something to look out for, to to enshrine the role of mothers. This is why the group Mothers at Home Matter is called Mothers at Home Matter, not Parents at Home Matter, because we're recognising the role of mothers in their children's lives. And this is why my podcast is called Mothers Matter, because mothers are not interchangeable with fathers and mothers are not interchangeable with childcare workers or um anyone else. A mother is a very specific individual um, who is female and is therefore relates to her child in a certain way. There's the there's the word parent and there's the word father. So we we cover everything basically, but a mother is a mother. So that is just my reflection on on all of this. You know, it's an evolving something to discuss that people might have a different opinion, and I'd welcome the Different view to this on uh, mothersmatteroutlook.com. But I do think that we have to be allowed to speak up for the word mother without being um, cancelled or uh, shouted down. So um, I am on Instagram and Facebook, Mothers Matter Podcast. And my Twitter is at Podcast Mothers. And as I said, uh, my email is mothersmatteroutlook.com. And my name's Claire. Thank you to my producer, James Ead for this particular podcast. Bye.